Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Today is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. And some of you, you've been with us the last year or so as we've done a few of these. Uh, Communicator Sunday is an opportunity for us at Canton Church to hear from some people within our church. And so whether you've attended here since the very beginning, uh, which goes all the way back for us to 2012, or or maybe you've just been with us for uh, about 30 minutes or so, uh, we're glad that you're here. And, And throughout our history, God has done these incredible things through some of the people in our church. And so Communicator Sunday gives us an opportunity to hear from some of those people. And so today is the third Communicator Sunday that we've done. And over the course of these three Communicator Sundays, um, at the end of today, we will have had 30 different people to share um, to our congregation. And so when we um, selected these people, we told them that it was really out of two criteria. One, they have just kind of expressed or demonstrated a call of God on their life um, for the preaching and teaching of God's word, and or um, they are a leader within our church that in some way or another we've identified as somebody that we want to share to the people of our church. And so we gave them two options. They could share their testimony, what God has done in their heart and in their life at some point, even either in recent history or over a longer period of time, or they could go to God's word and choose a topic that really ministered to them that they wanted to share to our church and really help all of us to understand a greater truth about God, his character, his nature, or his church. And so I'm so thankful for that. I'm going to ask you just to turn the lights up just a little bit, the house lights. I want you to see in this service, we've got five different communicators. I'm going to introduce all of them right now. And then we have a separate team of five communicators in our next service. But today in this service, we've got Billy Pashan. So go ahead and stand for me when I call your name. This is Billy. We've got Haley Kamitz. This is Branson Isaacs. I like him. Uh, This is Jessica Smith and then Daniel Stewart. And so can we give all of them a hand just in advance? And so here's what you need to know. Each of these people have prepared, they've studied, they've submitted to me the topics that they believe God laid on their heart to share. They've studied, they have presented in this room already to an empty room just to kind of get a feel for the stage and to get a feel for how God may use them today. But here's what I want you to know, and I've said this a couple times, so if you've attended for one of these other ones or you've seen some of our advertisement for today, I want you to know that we do not view today as some kind of circus show. It's not a novelty act. This is the the ministry that God has laid out for us today. These people are, are prepared. They're ready to present. And so if it's funny, laugh. If it makes you cry, go ahead and cry. Now, if it's, if it's bad and it makes you cry, just withhold that until late. And no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, But if you feel like you need to clap, if you want to amen them or say, hey, that's good, that'll probably help them a little bit. The more you talk back, the better they'll do. So I want to pray for our time, and then Billy's going to get us kicked off in this service. God, we love you, and we thank you for today. We thank you for the chance to hear from some people within our church what you're doing in their hearts and in their lives and what you may have for us to hear today. Open our hearts, open our minds to receive everything from you today. Speak through these individuals. Give them a confidence and a strength that only comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Morning. June 28th, 2005, Operation Red Wings is kicking off in the Hindu Kush mountains of Afghanistan. During the cover of night, four Navy SEALs are dropped off via Black Hawk helicopter on that mountaintop. Over the next six or seven hours, they hike for six miles through treacherous terrain on this mountain to overlook a village where there is a high Taliban-valued target by the name of Ahmad Shah. 
their mission is to ultimately take out this man. He has killed numerous Marines over the previous weeks, and, and these SEALs are tasked with eliminating this target. As they're hit up there in the mountains, three goat herders with a large pack of goats come up and literally surprise these four SEALs. Quickly, the Navy SEALs have to apprehend these three goat herders, and then they have a large dilemma amongst them. What do they do? They have two options. One, they can release these three goat herders with certainty that these three guys are going to run right back down to this Taliban village where the stronghold is and alert them that there are soldiers up in those hills. Or two, they can eliminate these three men, bury them on that hill, which obviously presents a moral dilemma, and then abort the mission, climb back out, and leave. There's a fierce debate. Two of the SEALs want to eliminate the, two, the three gentlemen. Two of the SEALs want to release them. Ultimately, Lieutenant Michael Murphy, who you'll see a picture of here, the team lead, makes the decision to release those three men and let them go do what they want to do while the SEALs hike back out of the mountains. As they're hiking up those mountains and getting close to a point where they can call for help, over 100 Taliban soldiers crest the ridge of that mountain with RPGs and AK-47s. Over the next several hours, those four SEALs fight 100 Taliban soldiers as they literally fall backwards down that mountain, continuing to have to jump from cliff to cliff. They're badly shot. They're badly broken. They've got broken bones. They've all been severely injured. When it looks like nothing else can be done, Lieutenant Michael Murphy makes the decision to crawl up onto this large peak where he is exposed to the Taliban so that he can pull his satellite phone out so that he can call for help for those four soldiers. Murphy climbs up to this peak and he stands up and pulls out that satellite phone, makes the call for the QRF, which is a quick reaction force, and says that they are in dire need of help. He right then is shot in the back three times and falls face down on that hill. But he musters the strength to stand up, hangs up the phone, actually says thank you, and starts to march back up that hill and take several more Taliban soldiers with him as he dies on the face of that mountain. If you're familiar with this story, you know this is the story of Lone Survivor. When Mike Murphy made that call, a Chinook helicopter came to try to rescue those soldiers. Unfortunately, 19 additional Navy SEALs died that day because an RPG shot that Chinook helicopter. Three of those four SEALs that were dropped on that mountain that day perished. Only one man lived. His name is Marcus Luttrell. Marcus Luttrell was paralyzed from the waist down. He crawled seven miles, literally on his hands and knees, to an Afghan village where he stayed for seven days until he was rescued. Mike Murphy knew he was going to die on that hill, but he did it because he loved his brothers and he was willing to sacrifice himself for his brothers. Jesus was badly wounded. Jesus was badly beaten, but he crawled up a hill with a cross on his back and the weight of humanity on his back. Jesus sacrificed himself and was crucified on that cross 
because he loved his brothers and sisters. The Bible says in John 15, 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, greater love has no one other than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Later in 1 John 3, 16, the Bible says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This morning, my challenge to you is this. You may not be called to lay down your physical life, but what sacrifice do you need to make in your life in order for the love of Christ to show through? What stronghold do you have in your life that you need to lay down so that those in your sphere of influence can feel the love of Christ? Is it your time? Where are you spending your time? Is it your finances? Do you need to sacrifice your finances and turn them over to the one who gave them to you to begin with? Is it a relationship? Are you in a relationship that you don't need to be in and you need to sacrifice that so you can focus on those that uh, God has put in your life? This morning, I ask you, what are those strongholds in your life that God is calling on you to sacrifice? So on this Memorial Day weekend, I thank you that you've allowed me to share for a moment. I want to thank you, as Jeremy said, to all who have served that are in this room or loved ones that you have who have served. And of course, I want to thank all those who have given the ultimate sacrifice for this country. I hope I've honored them this morning. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It is an honor to have this opportunity to be up here and to speak with you guys. My name is Haley Kamitz. My husband is the student and connections pastor here at Canton Church. And we are honored and blessed to be a part of what God is doing here in the community of Canton. We have a sweet five-month-old boy. His name is Praise. And uh, and oddly enough, that is what I'm going to be talking to you guys about this morning. Now, I could stand up here and I could tell you about all the wonderful things that Praise is doing, the new things that he's learning, and I could show you probably about 10,000 more photos that look just like that, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk to you guys about the power of Praise. I'm going to be reading out of Second Chronicles chapter 20. So you can either turn on your Bibles, you can open your Bibles, or you can just follow along on the screen. Second Chronicles chapter 20 is about a man named Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, and he got word that there were going to be three vast tribes coming against his nation. Now, in today's terms, that would be like three countries attacking one country. The Bible says that Jehoshaphat was terrified. How many of you guys are going through a situation in your life that you are terrified in? The Bible then says that he began to send a nationwide fast and prayer. And as they were fasting and praying, the Spirit of the Lord came on one of the sons of the house. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, God told them, Be not afraid or dismayed at the great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. It then says early the next morning as they were going into battle, we pick up in verse 21 and it says, When Jehoshaphat had consulted with the people, 
He appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in their holy attire as they went before the army and said, Praise and give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and loving kindness endure forever. Verse 22, at the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. What I want you guys to know is that you might not have three countries coming against you, and you might not be physically attacked, but there's a battle in your marriage. There's a battle in your finances and with your children and in your family. Maybe there's a battle in your health or even to wake up in the morning and open the word. But God wants you to know that the battle is not yours. The battle is his. And your priority is to praise. That is all he's asking you to do is to put praise on your lips. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. So maybe you're in this room and you feel like God's not fighting your battle. Maybe you feel like God's pretty distant. I encourage you guys to start praising him because then he's going to come and he's going to live with you and he's going to start knocking down enemies that are fighting you. Praise takes the situation off of ourselves and onto the one who can change it. Maybe you're in this room and you're like, you know what, Haley, life is going pretty great. My marriage is great. Kids are off at college, got money in the bank. Start praising. Because you never want to find yourself in the middle of a battle that you're already training for, that you're trying to train for. A couple simple ways that you guys can do it is turn some worship music on before you hop in the shower. I pray that everybody in here showers, so that's why it's an easy way to do it. <laughs> um, so just turn on some worship music and start thanking him in the shower. Thank him on your drive to work. It's really simple. And I promise you, by just implementing this, God's going to start knocking down battles in your life. He's going to start tearing down enemies that you didn't even know were coming against you. I'm going to close in prayer, but what I want you guys to know this week is that if you make praise your priority, you're going to feel the presence of God closer than you ever have before. You're going to see him work in ways in your bank account. You're going to see him work in ways in your marriage and in your children. So I'm going to end in prayer. Holy Spirit, God, I thank you for being in this place. I thank you for coming and for joining us and for meeting the needs of each of the person in this room. God, I pray this week that these people would make praise their priority. We thank you for the hope that we have in your word, Jesus. In your name, amen. Hello, I'm Branson Isaacs. Um, that's the, also the last name of our pastor. Um, I am his second oldest son. I'm 12 years old and about to finish sixth grade. Um, he's a good pastor. Don't expect that highly of me. Um, so today I'm going to be talking about hearing and understanding um, God's plan. Now, you probably have heard this topic here or at a different church, but... Um, I was going to share my perspective on it. So over the last year or so, there's been a number of times where I've been in a church service or just in a public place, and I feel like I needed to go pray for someone or just go talk to them. 
And my parents have been there to help me figure out what I should do and how to be obedient to God. But I remember this one time where we were at this Mexican restaurant because my dad loves Mexican and we're probably going after church. Um, that I saw this man that I did not know and I felt like I needed to pray for him. And so I asked my dad and he said that I should go do it. And so we both went and we asked the man if we could pray for him. But the man said no, that he wasn't religious. And I was a little confused at the time that why God would ask me to go pray for this man if he wasn't going to let me. And then I realized that w when God talks to you, it's not always for the benefit of the other person, but sometimes to test you to see if you're ready for his plan and to see if you're ready for the future. One of my favorite verses to look at is John 13, 7, NIV. It says, Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. I love this, and it might be a little straightforward on what it's saying, but it can be applied by saying, I do not know what God is working in me now or what it's supposed to do, but by trusting in God, he will show us. Just like when the man wouldn't let me pray for him, I couldn't be disappointed with that because I can't be disappointed with God's plan because he, he knows me more than I know myself, and he knows the best path for us to take. God loves everyone the same. He loves us so much that he gives us the opportunity to turn to his path or to even turn away. And I don't know why anyone would want to turn away from God because he knows us way more than we would ever, than we can ever know ourselves. And his path is the best for us to follow. And another verse I love to look at is John 10, 27, NIV. I love looking to the book of John when I think about his plan and hearing God's voice because it's great in that topic. But what the verse says is it says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. This just shows me that God knows me and won't let me fail with his plan. It also shows me that to, to follow God, I need to know his voice and what it sounds like. A few weeks ago, my dad was preaching on the voice of God. And he said that oftentimes when he hears the voice of God, it sounds like his mom or even my mom. And for me, the voice of God isn't really a voice. It's a gut feeling. And if I think of something and I get that gut feeling, I know it's God. And so I encourage you today to find what the voice of God sounds like to you. I'm going to close in prayer. But before, I want you to know that if you don't fail to follow God's plan, God's plan won't fail to follow you. So I'm going to end in prayer. Jesus, thank you for giving me the opportunity to do this. I pray that over this week that you help people to find your path and to help them follow it and not turn away from them, that they will help to find your voice and they will know the difference between theirs and yours and the path, which path to take. And I pray that you will just help them over this course to do everything that Miss Haley and all the other people, and Miss Jessica, that they're going to talk about, that you'll help them to praise and other topics that they're about to speak on. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hello, my name is Jessica Smith. <laughs> I'm a tad bit nervous. <laughs> um, so I'm married to Adam Smith, and we have seven blondies. Well, actually, we have six blondies and one redhead. Um, but so a few weeks ago, Adam and I had the privilege of sharing with the youth group, and I thought that I was really nervous then, but 
all these adults are way more intimidating. So you'll just have to bear with my nerves. But over the last few weeks, I've thought and prayed a lot about what I've wanted to share. And I feel so undeserving to be standing up here. But I know that God's given me a story for a reason. And if I can just encourage one person, I know that it'll be worth it. So today I want to talk to you about disappointments. Um, we've all experienced disappointments. We've all had those moments. Maybe we see God giving something to somebody else that we want. Um, maybe we've been praying for something and we don't feel like God's answering those prayers. Maybe, um, maybe you're just in a season of struggle after struggle after struggle. Um, it's okay to feel disappointed. It's okay to not be okay, but you can't stay there. So what do you do with your disappointments and how do you move on from them? I've had my fair share of disappointments in life. Um, growing up, I was the baby of three, and yet somehow everything seemed to fall on my shoulders, and I carried it all. Um, at 15, my mom and I took care of my dying grandfather that was living with us, and eventually he took his last breath in front of us. Um, a few months later, my mom went back to work, and they, my parents enrolled me in a private Christian school. See, I was homeschooled all of my life, so going to all my life to a private Christian school was a big, huge shock for me. Um, my freshman year was extremely difficult. Um, my freshman year, my dad ended up losing his job, and he was sentenced to prison. Um, going into my sophomore year, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder. And, <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> Over the next few years, um, my dad went to trial after trial, and um, my health declined, and I was slowly dying. I was sent to a rehab place in Arizona where I would live by myself for the next few months, um, and it was really there that I encountered God for the first time, and that I knew I needed to lean on him or I wasn't going to survive. Um, in November of 1999, I came home early to be able to spend some time with my dad before he went to prison. And in January, I started going to a youth group, and that's where I met Adam, which was a huge blessing. Um, in February of 2000, my dad went off to prison for the next few years. He and my mom um, eventually got divorced. My dad missed my wedding. He missed my graduation, and he missed my first baby being born. But what helped me through that season, and still those hard seasons today, was to press into God and to continually to press into him and not to lose faith. There's a story in 1 Samuel of a woman named Hannah. Um, she has a great story, um, and she's an amazing woman. I encourage you to go read it. But basically, her and another woman, Penaniah, are married to the same man. And um, Hannah desperately wanted to have a baby, but she couldn't. And... Um, she cried and she prayed to God, but the answer always seemed to be no. She got frustrated and disappointed, but she never gave up. Penaniah had several babies and kind of dangled it in front of her and mocked her for not being able to have it, and it was a constant reminder of what Hannah desperately wanted. But as disappointed as Hannah was, she continued to pour her heart out to God. She continued to press into him. So what's disappointing you today? Guess what? God already knows, but he wants to hear it from you. He wants you to lean on him. He wants you to talk to him about your struggles and open up. 
So I want to encourage you to press in close to him. Hannah didn't complain and lash out at Penaniah. She was humble and she took her prayers, her wants to God. She talked to God. Sometimes when life gets overwhelming and we're facing struggles, trials, and disappointments, we feel like quitting and we pull back. We pull back from church. We pull back from friends. We quit life groups. He wants to... um, He wants you, the Satan's feeding you those lies, and he wants you to quit. He wants you to isolate. He wants you to do all that. Well, that's, sorry. (laughs) He wants you to dwell on all the negative. The Bible says in in Psalm 61, 2, from the ends of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So call out to God and seek him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So bring your broken hearts, your frustrations, and your disappointments, bring them to God. He is so faithful. He has the perfect timing for everything. He's not ignoring the prayers that you're praying. It's just not your time yet. So he loves each one of us to answer those prayers at any other time than his perfect time. Hannah, she never gave up. And years later, not only did God allow her to have a baby, but he ended up blessing her with multiple babies, and one of them being Samuel, who is known as the greatest leaders of the Old Testament, all because she didn't give up when Satan was tearing her down. So keep praying and keep pressing in. Another thing that I find helpful in even those difficult um, disappointments and those hard seasons is to praise him. Sometimes we just have to change our focus. We have to change our mindset. It's so easy to get caught up with the disappointments of life when we really just need to renew our minds. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Hannah, she continued to to praise God. Life gets hard and disappointments happen, but he brought me through through so much. How can I not praise him? Remember always to focus on the simple things to praise God for. In our family, we have a journal, and almost every day I ask Adam and the kids and myself to write down three things that we are thankful for. It changes your mindset to the positive and all the good things that God has done. So I challenge you to make a list next time you're feeling disappointed and discouraged. In the middle of disappointments, we can fix our eyes on all that seems to go wrong, or we can choose to praise him and trust him. He is loving. He is good. Even when the circumstances are darker and worse than we could imagine, he is good. Even when the people aren't, he is good. Even when things seem hopeless, he is good. So rejoice in what is, what will be, not what isn't. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 says, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive tree, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So praise him through those storms. Give him all the glory and all the honor. He's already won the battle and the victory is ours if we just trust him. During my teen years, I had a, I asked God a lot of why me, God, but I learned it was all for his glory and it was all about his timing. He had the perfect plan for my life and the perfect, re, uh, and the perfect reason why things happened, when they did, and how they did. Jeremiah 29, 11, 
was a verse that I really helped me during those hard seasons. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. All those struggles and disappointments, it got me to where I am today. Through my teen years, I had no one else other than God. I had no choice than to press into him. Not one single day did he ever fail me. He never left me. He showed me who he is day after day. I pressed into him like I've never pressed into him before. He's been my healer, my comforter, my strength, my confidant. He's helped me overcome things. He's been faithful. He's brought me an amazing husband. He blessed me with seven amazing kids when the doctor said that I wouldn't have any because my body was too damaged. He's, he's brought me lifelong friends when all my friends and even my family kept leaving me. It all happened in his timing and not a moment late sooner. He's turned my failures into victories, my disappointments into blessings, and he's still doing that today. So don't let your disappointments destroy you. Don't let them steal your joy. Don't let them get you down. He's fought for me, and he'll fight for you too. God is a redeemer, a healer, the author of hope, the pathway of restoration, the great I am. Save your emotional energy and dig into his word. Continue to renew your mind in his word. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. He holds me together when all the circumstances are tearing me apart. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Daniel Stewart. Um, I believe in transparency, to say the least. So I'm going to be very real with you for a second. I got this notion that I had a lot more time than I actually do. So, Pastor Jeremy, I've got a lot of material here. I'm going to squeeze into five minutes if possible. Um, but no, I, I'm super excited. This is my, uh, my second communicator Sunday. Um, and last time I spoke on some scripture and how it related to, related to praise and worship, obviously being a part of the worship team. Um, I love any kind of scripture that I can relate to worship and how that can maybe change worship for me and how I can lead worship. But today I'm actually just going to share a part of my testimony. Um, like I said, it's a lot. So I had already cut it down. I'm going to cut down some more um, to save y'all some time because I literally had like 15 minutes of material. Um, we're not going to talk about it. But just to kind of give you a quick synopsis of my childhood kind of leading up to the last few years of my life. So I was born and raised in Mississippi. Uh, until I was 12 years old. My dad was a deep south, old school, Pentecostal Church of God pastor. Like, they still allowed tambourines on stage kind of Church of God. Like, there were 200 redback hymnals in all the pews in the church, but there were maybe like 20 people that went to the church, but then all 20 people were actually in the choir on stage, which had its own redback hymnals. So we really just had 200 redback hymnals out here for whatever reason. I don't know. But that's the kind of church that I grew up in, and my dad being a pastor of. But when we moved here to Georgia, he quit preaching. He became a full-time teacher. Um, he kept us in church, though. We moved around to different churches here in Cherokee County. Um, but as the older I got, obviously, the more freedom you know, of choice that I had to do what I wanted with my life. Um, and kind of at the same time, my family started to pull away from church as well. Uh, they never really got plugged in anywhere, never really found anywhere uh, that they belonged. I honestly feel like if Canton Church would have existed back then, we probably would have found the right church. Um, so they kind of pulled away from church. And at the same time, like I said, I, I kind of have the freedom to choose what I want to do. So I actually um, left church for a while as well. 
and then that kind of coincided with some personal loss in my life, my parents' divorce, a lot of different things um, from like when I, when I was 18 to 20, and just a lot of things that coincided with me leaving church. So just me leaving church turned into me resenting church and turned into resenting God. And I kind of talked about this last Communicator Sunday, um, but I just had no desire to be at church anymore. I had no desire for a relationship with God. Um, and you fast forward to 2012, though, um, and I was dating a girl, and she said, uh, she said, hey, I want to go to this church. I've heard about, you know, my, one of my old high school teachers invited us, and I said, I really don't want to go to church. And she said, no, 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 I really want to go to this church. You should try it out. I said, no, nah, I really don't want to go. And she said, no, you should go to this church. And I said, well, I'm not going to win, so, okay, fine, we'll go. And uh, like I said, I had no intention of being at church. I had no intention of fixing my relationship with God. Um, that was actually the first Sunday that I ever came here to Canton Church, and that was the day that I rededicated my life to God um, and decided to pursue him again. Um, now, if that was where my testimony ended, then I wouldn't have to worry about having 15 minutes of material, um, and I could just send you all home and call it a day. Um, unfortunately, that's not where it ends, though. Um, we'll fast forward a little bit more. Um, I actually moved off to Mississippi, as well as the girl that I was dating at the time. Um, she went to Ole Miss. I moved in with some family of mine that lives in the area. Uh, things are going really well. I'm, I'm in college. I'm doing well in school. I've got a seemingly a great relationship. I, I, um, I, I actually land a really good job for the time for somebody that didn't have a college degree. I mean, a lot of things were going really well in my life. And I was actually only 23 at the time. And I just felt like I was super successful and I was super blessed and everything was going really well. Um, kind of come to the end of the school year here. And this job that I have doesn't allow me to come back over the summer like I normally would. I have to stay there. It's a full-time job, nine to five. It's what being an adult is, right? Um, and, but my girlfriend does get to come back. So she moves back to Georgia. I stay in Mississippi. In those few weeks apart, she realizes that we really weren't actually happy together anymore. We weren't doing well. And in retrospect, I see that now. But at the time, I didn't understand. At the time, I was confused and I was hurt and, and, and I, was, I was frustrated. I was angry. I was like, what do you, what do you mean? We don't need to be together anymore. And, 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 and I, we had been together for four years at that point. So at the age of 23, that's the longest commitment I ever made to anything in my life, aside from like maybe a pair of socks that I had. But like, it's the, so, so I, there's this huge gap in my life now, this, this emptiness that wasn't there before. And then, not to just add insult to injury here, but literally a week later to the day, I get a call from a buddy of mine that I went to high school with, and he said, hey, I don't, I don't know if, if you heard, but um, Paul committed suicide. Now, Paul was somebody that I considered a brother of mine. Um, we hit it off in about middle school. Um, we, I had two sisters. He had no siblings. And so we were both kind of looking for like a brother figure in our lives at the same time. And so we just kind of latched onto each other and we were inseparable. I mean, we literally introduced each other like, this is my brother, Paul. And he was like, this is my brother, Daniel. Um, and, and we had lost contact for about a year before all of that happened. Um, but it still hurt. I mean, it was, you know, and, and I had these thoughts of like, why didn't he reach out to me? Why didn't he call, you know, and ask for help? Why wasn't I a good enough friend to be there for him? Why did I let us fall, you know, fall out of touch for so long? And, 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 and more pain and more confusion and more hurt. So just kind of combine these two, you know, just huge instances in my life that have created two different voids now. I've got all this pain, confusion, and hurt, and frustration. And so I have two options here, right? I'm doing well in my relationship with God at this time, so I can dive deeper into his word. I can seek him out in prayer. 
right? I can surround myself with people that want to lift me up and support me. I can, I can reach out to my pastor and ask for counseling. This sounds a really good option, right? That's, that's probably what I should have done. Or I could fall back into this old lifestyle that I used to live. And I could try and depend on things of this world or sins to try and fill this emptiness in my life. Unfortunately, that's what I did. And like I said at the beginning, I, I'm, I'm a very transparent person. I don't get embarrassed easily. I kind of have no shame, which sometimes gets me in trouble. But I think this is a good opportunity if somebody has gone through or is going through something like this to know that people that stand on this stage, we're not exempt from the troubles of life. We're not perfect. We have all experienced struggles as well. So if you feel embarrassed for me, please don't. Like, I'm just being very honest with you. But so I fell back into this life that I used to live that was filled with alcohol and filled with drugs and trying to fill this emptiness in my life to try and deal with pain and to deal with this suffering. And this goes on for a couple of months. Um, literally for two months straight, it was, it was almost like I, I, was, I wasn't sober at all. I mean, 24-7, constantly inebriated. That's the only way that I thought I could deal with the pain at the time. I had, I'd lost, you know, the girl that I thought I loved, and, and, I, and I lost one of my best friends of my life. I was far from my sisters and my parents, so I really didn't have anybody close to me, and so I just said, I'll just depend on these things here to, to deal with my problems. And so for two months straight, I, I literally would plan my day around drinking. I mean, at the age of 23, you know, that's, that's obviously really bad. And uh, I, would, I would plan to wake up in time to be able to drink enough. That way, if I got to work, I would stay drunk to get through lunch or until the end of my shift. That way, I could stop at a liquor store and drink some more. Like I said, please don't be embarrassed for me. I see some, like, I got some weird looks coming at me here. It's just a very real account of my life, okay? And, and fast forward, like I said, to the end of this two months here. And there was one day that I just woke up really late, which is not uncommon for me. Um, you can ask anybody on the pastoral staff. Um, I woke up a little bit late, and I had a choice that I could, I could drink, but I would have to be late for work, or I could get to work on time. And I was already under fire for a lot of things. Obviously, my work was suffering for obvious reasons here. And, and I just decided, you know what, I'll get to work on time, and it, it's, it's fine, you know. I can, I'll, I can make it till lunch, and then I can go to the liquor store, and we'll deal with it then. I was completely wrong. Like, it was like as soon as I showed up to work, I sobered up, and everything hit me at once. Like I said, it literally like I was inebriated for two months straight here. So two months worth of pain and frustration and confusion built up inside of me that all comes crashing in as soon as I show up to work. And, and, and an hour goes by, and, and two hours go by while I'm at work, and it feels like days, though. And I've got all these thoughts going on in my brain and, and, and all these feelings that I haven't yet dealt with of just like, why wasn't I good enough for Susan? Why, why didn't she love me anymore? You know, why, why didn't Paul reach out to me? Why wasn't I a good enough friend for him, for him to think that he could ask for help? And, and I'm blaming myself for all these things and, and I'm blaming other people for these things and I start blaming God for things. I'm just falling right back into that old lifestyle that I used to live just to resent him when all I had to do was dive deeper into his word. And I eventually had to just leave work, and I said, I got to go, guys. I just can't be here. And I, and I go out to my car, and these thoughts are getting louder and louder and louder in my head. And, and, and it just eventually gets to this point where all I can honestly hear is just, you're not worth it. You're not worth it. You're not worth it. And, I, you know, and looking at it now, I know it was the devil attacking me, obviously. But that's all I could hear in my head. And it drove me to the point that I literally just... I decided almost peacefully, I just said, well, then I'm just going to end my life. That's just the best option for me here. If, if, if I am not loved, if I'm alone, if I can't be good enough for this person or that person, then that's what I'm going to do. 
And as soon as I said that, it was like my, my, it, but my brain went as silent as this room is right now, okay? Um, and, and, and I start to drive home. I'm thinking about, you know, who am I going to write a note to? I mean, I'm just almost in a peaceful mind just deciding these things right now. And I get home, and I, and I pull up to the driveway, and I put the car in park, and I, and I look at my front door, and I don't know what it was about my front door, but it finally kicked in this decision that I made. And my basic human instincts kicked in and said, wait, I don't want to die. Like, that's obviously not great. My survival instincts kicked in. I said, I don't want to die. And, and so I started to, to freak out. I mean, like, you know, fear and, and, and worry about what's going to happen if I'm gone and everything like that. And, and all of a sudden, all these voices start coming back and all those thoughts of you're not worth it, you're not worth it, you're not worth it, just come back. And it's just driving me insane. And this is probably one of the... One time, one times, that's a word, um, one of the only times in my life that I feel like I've actually heard an audible voice of God, but throughout all of that chaos and throughout all of that noise going on in my head, I hear, you are worth it. And in that moment, it was like this veil was kind of lifted off my eyes. And I just actually got this 360 degree look at my life and what I had been doing. And I knew that it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me in that moment that he showed up in that moment where I'm less than five minutes away from ending my life and he's reminding me that I am worth it and I completely lose it at this point. I mean, like, I'm ugly crying, people, okay? Like, you could have put chocolate ice cream in the notebook in front of me. It would have made a lot of sense in that situation. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean I'm worth it, God? Do you know what I have done? Do you know that, that how many times I've denied you, how many times that I've pushed you away, how many times that I've blamed you for all these things that I deal with? Why is it that I can continuously do that, yet you continuously come and tell me that you love me? Why is it that you continuously tell me that I'm worth it, even though I don't treat you like you are? And I say all of this, and I tell you this story to tell you that I am standing here today, right? So it worked. Whatever the Holy Spirit did in that moment, it worked. Um, I reached out to family, and I reached out to my pastor, and I sought help, and I worked my way back from there. I got myself rebaptized because it just felt right. It was a huge change in my life. Um, but, I, but I tell you all these things to try and wrap this up as soon as I can. I'm, I'm, I'm way over my time at this point. Um, to tell you that those things, the alcohol mainly, tried to make a claim on my life, tried to claim me, right? Tried to take power over my life. But if I had just read Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 8, it says, And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. And he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So I tell you my testimony today, and, and, and I read that scripture to you to tell you that sin... And the things of this world have no power over you. So just reach out today. Seek out help through the word, through prayer, through life groups, through however you need to do it. But make sure to seek out help because we have freedom today because of the cross. Thank you. I'm going to introduce all five speakers at one time, and then they're just going to come up one at a time uh, over the remainder of the time together. So this is Katie Tiller. I'm going to ask you to stand. Katie, uh, this is Ben Sparks. Rebecca Tosh, Tim Johnson, and Alex Holguin. Can we give them a hand already? 
Good morning, everyone. My name is Katie Tiller. I am married to Adam Tiller, and we have one beagle puppy child, Nora. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to share a little bit about what the Lord's been doing in my heart since the beginning of 2019. So long, long story short, this past fall, I was having some health issues, and peace seemed to be super far out of reach. So the new year came, and we started 21 days of prayer and fasting here at the church, and it was incredibly transformative for my heart. During those 21 days, um, as I was praying for my physical healing, I began to discover the access that we as followers of Jesus have to the peace of God and what it looks like to operate in this peace daily in our lives. So to start, I'd like to give you the definition of peace and then tell you about what scripture says um, on peace. So it's defined in the dictionary as freedom from disturbance or tranquility. Now, I'm not a huge fan of that definition because when are we ever free from disturbance? Never. Um, but the biblical definition from Mercer's Bible Dictionary defines peace in the Hebrew word shalom as spiritual well-being grounded in covenantal relationship with Yahweh. That's reflected in all dimensions of life. And in scripture, in Isaiah 9, 6, it's a prophetic declaration that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. To me, I think about the peace of God like the sunrise or sunshine. It's something that we know is going to be there in the morning we, when we wake up. We don't even think about it. It's something that's innately made to be in our lives. And the peace of Jesus is just like that. And we as humans know that even on the days when the sun's not shining, the sun will shine again. But there are seasons in the natural, and there are seasons in our spirits, where it rains and storms for days. And what do we do in the natural? We don't just usually dance outside in the rain. We stay inside. We take cover. We use an umbrella. But what do we do in our spirits sometimes when it's raining or it's storming or there's chaos? Do we wallow in our hurt and our confusion and just kind of take it? And so oftentimes we do. I do, and that's nothing to be ashamed about, but it's not the way our hearts were intended to operate in seasons of rain and seasons of chaos. It says in Psalms 91, 1 through 2, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. In dwelling and spending time with the Lord, we can rest in his peace, knowing that he is our refuge in times of storm. And furthermore, when Jesus came and died on the cross in John 14, he guarantees us the deposit of the Holy Spirit inside of our hearts. Therefore, whatever he is, we have full access to. He and the Father promise to dwell and build their house among us and leave us with peace. And that is something we can claim full access to and something we can rejoice about. And so it takes time and it's, it's a commitment. But when we're able to just consecrate and take a few like minutes every morning, for time with Jesus, we start to operate from this heart of rest, that rest in the shadow and truth from God that is declared over and over in scripture. And from that place of rest comes peace, and peace breeds hope for the future. One of my favorite verses to declare when I can't seem to find peace is found in Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. And that's the wonder of the peace of God. It doesn't make sense. It transcends our understanding. His ways, his timing, his plans are high above ours. And we might not know how we're going to get through the day, through the chaos, and through the storms. But in our spirits, we know we serve a God who is peace. We have the gift and the ability to access this peace through simply communicating with Jesus. 
So there's two ways that I practically like to practice peace in my life and try and invite it in. And the first one is inviting peace. If you're always on the go, as most of us are, life can get crazy. But we just have the opportunity every morning to invite peace into the environment that we're creating. Declare those verses of scripture of peace. And instead of allowing anxiety to overcome you in stressful situations, declare those scriptures. And as you pursue time with Jesus, you're simultaneously pursuing peace because he is the Prince of Peace. And our response in situations come from this heart of rest and peace that he gives freely when we dwell with him. And the second thing is to rest in peace. Um, I've said that word rest a lot, and that might sound kind of hard to do in the world we live in, but I think it looks different than physical rest. Spiritual rest acknowledges that we daily operate and live in a paradox. We acknowledge that we live in a broken, sin, and hurting world, but we also can rejoice at the same time in the victory that is Jesus. We live in the truth and peace, rejoicing in our future victory. When he completed his work here on the earth, he sat down at the right hand of the Father and rested in that victory. We are victorious, and that's the truth that we rest in daily. So as I conclude today, I just want to encourage you that even if you don't feel the peace of the Lord yet, it's his desire and in your hands to live in that peace. And I must mention, how many of us know when we ask for things like peace, joy, patience, you soon there are confronted with situations that allow you to operate in these gifts. And I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe I didn't want to ask for that. And all the things go wrong, but it's refining our character. And the process is so worth the reward. The peace of Jesus transcends our understanding. We might not see our healing and our victory yet in the natural, but we know the sun will shine again. It's in our grasp to live in peace. We acknowledge our hurts, but we hope for what's ahead. Thank you. How y'all doing? So, I had a joke, but I'm not going to say it, so that was too good. But, uh, no, I'm Ben Sparks. Um, my wife, Britton's in the back. We also have what you would call a fur baby as well. I didn't think I needed to put a picture up of that. But, um, but no, it's, it's good. So, uh, I'm, I'm just going to get right to it. We're talking about fighting battles with mine. Um, and this means either mental, physical, emotional, spiritual battles. Um, and I know people are like, wow, this guy only has five minutes. He's not getting all that in. Well, we're just going to get started here. So, um, so when you think about fighting battles, there's a lot of scripture that you could turn to, uh, that you could possibly look at. But Second um, Kings 6 kind of was laid on my heart uh, to speak about this. And uh, it picks up in Second Kings 6, uh, verse 15 through 17. It says, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elijah prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When we see things the way the servant first saw them, we feel like we're facing our battles alone. We feel like the enemy's at us, and we have nothing that's going to stand before us against them. But when we choose to allow the Lord to open our eyes, we really see who's fighting the battles for us. When we try to fight things on our own, they may look like a lot greater but when we realize the one fighting for us is greater than anything that we could ever face. That turns me to Romans 8.31. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us, right? You can mic drop there, amen, right? <laughs> but seriously, that's so good to know because 
Sometimes it takes a moment of prayer to really understand that you are having a conversation with the one who created you and the one that has designed you and the one that's always going to be there for you and fight for you. I say it all the time. I love my parents. I love my wife. But sometimes they'll probably fail me. God will not fail me. I look at this, and this is a song. We sung it a couple Sundays ago, and it's, uh, it's by Upper Room. It's called Surrounded. This gives a good image of, of what you really see in the scripture of 2 Kings 6. It goes, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It gives you this beautiful picture of, yeah, the enemy's coming in. The, whatever's pressing in on me, it's there. It's evident. Everybody. If you haven't had any mental, physical, emotional, spiritual battles ever in your life, please raise your hand because I need to be friends with you. Because I've had them and everybody else has too. But it says, I may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It gives you this peace to know that, that God is surrounding you in this protection that is going to protect you and no matter what you face. So I made this point from that is we need to stop focusing on what we're fighting and lean into the power of the one that is fighting for us. And when you lean into the power of the one fighting for us, all the things that you might be facing start to just start to fall away. You don't focus on what's coming at you. You don't know when the month the month is going to end, if it's financial or what kind of marital relationship is going on. You lean into Jesus. You lean into God. Everything's going to work itself out. So what does this look like? I'm a coach, so I relate a lot of stuff to coaching and t- teaching and stuff. So, but reading your Bible is your training, right? So you have to be trained up to do whatever you're going to do. And prayer is the game plan. I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a game where I've changed the game plan mid-game because something's happened or the other team's doing this or a lesson plan, as any teachers in the room know, it might go awry and you're like, oh, here we got to do this, right? So the game plan changes, but that's your prayer because God might lead you down a direction this way to then reposition you to take a different angle towards something that he's calling you to. And without training and planning, you're destined to fail. Without, without training and planning, you're destined to fail. And here's the good news for everybody. It won't always be easy, and you won't win every battle. Right? It won't always be easy, and you won't win every battle. And that turns me to John 16, 33. It says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. If you lose a battle in life, don't worry, because the war is already won. The war that we are fighting, or that we aren't fighting, it was fought on our behalf, but it's already won. So... Job loss, marital dis- disputes, children leaving the house, whatever may come your way, guess what? The war is already won. That's one battle. I'm a history nerd, right? So the Civil War was fought. The South was winning every war, or battle, 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 right? Well, as we know now that the North ends up winning the war, right? So if they were to just to give up, then it would have been a completely different scenario in the world that we live in today. So just know, if you lose a battle, don't worry because the war is already won. The thing that I want to leave you guys with today, this is the worst thing you can ask my wife. I worry so much about just stupid things, right? But, but we need to stop worrying and start praying. And then the Lord will open our eyes to who's surrounding us too. Okay, thank you guys. Good morning. My name is, or afternoon now, my name is Rebecca Tosh, and my husband, Jeremiah, and I have been attending Canton Church for seven years. Yes. 
We have three children, Casey, who's almost seven, Connor, who's five, and Emma's two and a half, going on about 13. Uh, <laughs> I currently volunteer as the Kids Life uh, Director of Preschool Ministries, and it is something that I love. I love getting to love on your babies every single week. Um, today, I'm going to talk to you about my personal testimony and about God's call and will for my life. Um, I don't know about you, but me, I struggled for many years. God, what is it that you want me to do here? What is it that you have called me to do? And again, I struggled. I would go after one dream and then another dream, but nothing ever seemed right. One Sunday, it was actually uh, last January, it was Baptism Sunday. I walked in thinking it was going to be any other Sunday. Little did I know that God had so much more. I walked in there, sitting in that service, and God, I could feel him speaking into my heart. It's time. It is time. It is time to take that step for you. It is time to take that step for your family, and it's time to take that step for me. And then I started having that internal battle, and I'm sure you know the one I'm talking about. God, are you, wait, are you sure? No, no, I can't do this. You, do you know who you're talking to? You're the one that created me. I can't do this. He's like, yes, yes, you can. And so I did it. And it was, it was great. It's something that I'll never forget. And so I left empowered and ready. But then, guess what? Nothing happened. Or so I thought nothing happened. I was thinking it was going to be this instant, all right, here you go. Here's what you're ready. You know, are you ready? And nothing happened. And then I started getting frustrated. And I was in my closet one morning crying out to God. God, did you really say that? Did you really say that it was time? Because I don't feel like anything's happening. Nothing's changing. And it was in that moment that one of my cousins sent me a link to a YouTube video of this pastor speaking about, God, did you really say? It was the, right at the beginning. And I was like, oh, wow. I said, okay, okay, God, I got it. And then it was time for Woven. And again, in that service, it was, this, it was the same message that I needed to hear. So right then, I just completely submitted to God and said, okay, God, whatever it is you have for me, I'm in. Just, you know, I'm ready. And that's when I started looking back and realizing things were changing. Things were happening. Uh, Pastor Matt had moved me from babies to uh, the toddler room. Um, new position at work. Like things were changing. I just needed to open my eyes and see that they were changing. Um, and then that was when God was calling me for more. Like I knew that there was something more that I needed to be doing. And so I went to Pastor Matt because I knew there was something, there was a position we needed on Wednesday nights for preschoolers because I knew there were other families like me that wanted something for their preschoolers on Wednesday nights. And he was like, yes, you know, do it. Um, and again, I, you know, kept feeling there was, there's something more. He kept saying, no, there's more, there's more. I'm like, no. Um, and I did. And I went, you know, again, I started reaching out to those that know me best and said, hey, I think God's calling me to something. Is this crazy? Like, I'm crazy, right? I can't. And they're like, no, God made you to do this. God has equipped you to do this. 
And so I said, I said, okay. I prayed, and then I did it. I took that step. I talked to Pastor Matt, and here I am today. <laughs> uh, so I want to leave you with this today. If you feel God is calling you to take a step of faith, I encourage you to do it. I encourage you to talk to those that know you best, to talk, you know, reach out to someone, pray. There's the elder couples up here every week. Ask them to pray for you and pray with you. If not, ask me. I would be happy to pray with you. Um, and then don't be afraid to take that step. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. If the enemy is lying to you and telling you that you're not good enough, remember, God has called you, that you are blessed, and you are favored. And through God, you are capable of amazing things. Thank you. Right. Good afternoon, everyone. I was getting a little nervous because I looked at this stand, and like from my angle there, it looked like it was one of those real flimsy ones. And I was like, this is not going to hold my water. I get extreme cotton mouth when I speak, so um, if this isn't enough, I'll go grab a hose. So um, first and foremost, I just want to say uh, thank you to Pastor Jeremy. You're the man. Thank you for doing this. Like, it, it means so much to me. There's a lot of pastors out there um, who are... are maybe a little insecure about letting other people take the spotlight. And uh, so it, it speaks volumes to me that so many people are so good and up here speaking. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, uh, I'm humbled, man. I'm humbled to even be up here. So thank you. Um, so uh, my name's Tim. That's crazy seeing my name up there. So my wife is the hot one right there. Go ahead and raise your hand. That's right. Uh, so I want to talk to you this morning about uh, one of my favorite things to talk about. It's one of my favorite things to think about. Uh, and study, and uh, my wife can tell you, I, I spend countless uh, weeks and months on this one subject, and I'm a simple guy, so I love how God makes things so simple for us. So uh, I want to talk to you about two things. Number one, how God's Word works, and I want to talk to you about the importance of meditating on God's Word. So how God's Word works. I'm going to go to Luke 8, 11, and... Um, in Luke 8, and in, it's in Matthew and Mark as well, Jesus is telling the, the parable of the sower, okay? So this is what I spend most of my time on. So for the sake of time, I'm just going to, I hate to do this, I have to skip right to the end and give you the key. But in the parable of the sower, he's telling a story about how a farmer sows seed. And some seed falls on bad places and some falls on good places and produces fruit. The ones that fall on bad don't produce anything, right? So that's really, really simple, but... Pause for dramatic effect. Here is the, uh, here's the principle he's telling. He's not just telling us how to be good gardeners. He's telling a, a, a very important kingdom principle here. So here's the, here's the explanation. He says, the explanation of the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Okay? Now that seems like very simple, like I said. But I love how God hides incredible, profound truths in really simple places. So this would be one of them. So he compares his word to seed. So God's word works like seed works. And think about this. Every single thing that God created that has life in it has seed. So all the plants, all the trees, all the animals, the fish, and people, he puts seed in it. So God is therefore not going back and creating things and creating things here. 
I was driving in the car with Cooper the other day, and he looked around at all the trees in North Georgia. We moved here from Oklahoma, so there's about seven trees in Oklahoma. And so he's looking around, he's like amazed at all the trees. And he says, God's still making trees? Because it would seem like it, right? And it's like, no, he's not. He created it, and then he gave it seed. So seed represents life. As this is God's word, is a representation of life. But here's the thing. God... Uh, what, what a seed is, is essentially potential. And it's amazing to me that God did this, that he almost limits his word. It's just potential. So this answers an incredible question for me. Why is it that so many people are raised in church or who sit under the word and who have so much word, it seems like it doesn't profit them anything? Not everyone. Some people you see it, um, you see the word take root instantly and you see them produce works of righteousness and all that. But other people, you, just, you don't see that. Well, it's because it really only has the potential to change your life. That's incredible to me because God's word to me is the most powerful thing. It is the most life-changing, life-giving thing. But if you're just holding a seed, it doesn't do anything for you, right? So God is saying here in this, in this parable, plant my word in your heart. As David said, um, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you, right? So... I'm not kidding. I've got mouth. So, uh, um, so having knowledge of God's word is just not enough. You can have all the knowledge in the world. You can have all the seeds in the world. But until you plant them, you will not see anything. You will not see this. So real quick, in, in Joshua chapter 1.8, uh, it says, This book of the law, God's word, shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night, day and night, that you may observe to do all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. So this one, I'm going to transition to meditating. And just very quickly, um, I want to take the weirdness out of the word meditating. Okay, I'm not encouraging anyone to sit cross-legged and chant. Uh, all, all I mean is, is, to, is to concentrate on the word of God. It's where you think about it, right? And so this is where I have an advantage over all of you. And I hate to rub it in, but I do. I'm in landscaping, okay? So I'm by myself all the time. So I think a lot. I love political talk radio. I love sports talk radio. I know I'm a total nerd. But I, I make sure to not listen to anything for the first four or five hours of the day. And so what am, I, what am I doing? I'm going over what I read that morning, right? How simple is that, right? All you're doing is thinking about God's word, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit, what does this mean when you said that? What does that mean? And so Aaron and I have had many, many conversations that have gone on for weeks where we talk about, like, one scripture. So what are you doing when you're doing that? You're meditating on God's word. You're watering it. You're allowing the sun to shine on it. Give it time. That word will take root in your heart. And it won't be a flimsy thing where when something hard comes at you, 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 you fail. You will have good roots in, in the word of God. And this is really where life change happens, right? It's almost effortless. No one walks by an apple tree and hears it groaning to, to produce an apple. You put the seed in the right spot. You give it the right things. And this is where... We, we see fruit, and this is where fruit comes from your, from your own life. You will, righteousness will just start to flow from you. Joy and peace, it will flow from you, and it comes through this principle. So anyway, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to stand up here and uh, talk to you guys a little bit about what God has done for me and my family, just give you a short glimpse, uh, but thanks again for that. Today I'm going to be touching on tithing and giving and overall leaving your finances to God. And 
the overall impact that it's made on my life and my family's life. About 11, 12 years ago, we were going through a real time of financial struggles, and a gentleman from church came up to me, handed me some money, and says to me, hey, God told me to give you this, to trust him and to love him and that he's there with you. I get a call from the bank in regards to a situation that we were having because we were going through a foreclosure. My dad was ill, and I was the only breadwinner in the home. I get a call from the bank, and... Uh, and the lady from the executive team tells me, I don't know why I'm calling you, but I've decided to eliminate all your upside-down debt and reduce your monthly payment to $500. Wow. Glory to God. At that point, that very moment, God told me to trust in him 100%, to tithe, to give to him and watch him bless me and multiply. Fast forward a bit. I got married 10 years ago to my beautiful wife. I work at things were going well. I got promoted. And I took a position that was completely outside of my wheelhouse. So what I did was uh, the day, the Sunday before I started that position, I gave my whole entire paycheck to God. I said, hey, God, I don't know why you put me in this position. It's completely uncomfortable for me. By the way, I think God works mysteriously in uncomfortable situations. And I, I gave my whole paycheck to God. So the first day came, that was that next Monday. My leader calls me and says to me, hey, how'd you do today? I'm like, it went phenomenal. He's like, okay, good, because I'm, I'm giving you a call because I want to give you a raise. So God multiplied everything I just gave to him the day before, generously. And I want to make this clear, too, because this isn't just about money. It's about putting God first and the same time God guiding me and giving me knowledge and wisdom to be a father, a husband, a follower, and, and et cetera. It's something that gave me peace to give back to God. I, I feel that God acts on my behalf. For example, a few months later go by, I get a new leader, and the leader calls me one day and tells me that um, I'm under investigation for stealing funds or something like that. I totally got upset. I went into my office. I called my wife. We prayed, and God at that very moment gave me peace and told me not to worry, to be strong and courageous that he is with me and he will not forsake me. A few weeks later, I get a phone call from the human resource manager, and they eliminated him for stealing. That God told me at that moment that he's my protector and my provider, that I do not need to worry. So uh, a couple years go by, uh, three years ago actually, we moved here to Georgia with my two beautiful kids and my wife, and I, I was offered a position to move here, and then a few months later I was offered another position, but that position again was outside my wheelhouse. Again, God putting me in uncomfortable situations. You got to love it. And uh, I, I prayed, I contemplated for two weeks I'm like, I don't know if I want to take that role because it's not in my career path, per se. But I took it. I prayed and fast, and God said, go ahead and take it. So it was a Friday afternoon I interviewed. Monday I was offered the position. Tuesday morning I signed. The reason I tell you the timeline is because an hour later, they made an emergency meeting to tell me that they were laying off the, the side of the company that I was in. God's timing is perfect. That's why we need to trust in God with our finances and, and everything that we have with him. Um, and lastly, we're here at Canton Church, and this is where God has guided us to be. Here we found our, our why, and that's because our generations matter. It's a big deal to me when I go home and my kids are praising, singing, and yelling out verses that they learned here in church, to, uh, that, uh, church that week. Um, for some, it's different, but for us, we're the first full generation of followers, where chains were broken, fear was demolished, and God is first. I leave you with this. Trust God in his promises to be your provider your protector, and to guide you in your path. Tithing and giving is a form of worship for us and thanksgiving. For me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Thank you.
One more time, can we just give a hand to all five of our communicators? Here's the thing that I was thinking about as I was sitting there on the front row today. You have a story too. Maybe you weren't invited today to stand on this stage. Maybe you will at our next Communicator Sunday, so be watching your email inbox. But you have a story to tell. There are people in your life who need to know what God is speaking to you, what God has done in you. And you say, well, I'm not a finished product yet. Well, I think anybody that stood up here today would tell you they're not a finished product either. We're all a work in progress. And if we say to God, God, I'm open, I'm open. Whatever you would have me to say, whatever you would have me to do, if there's somebody on my job, somebody in my school, somebody in my home, somebody that lives on my street that needs to know just a little bit of what I know now or what I'm learning now, I'll be open to share. Communicator Sunday is not just about the five people that stand to speak in this service. It's also the reality that each of us have something to communicate. Each of us have something to share. My pastor, Pastor Mark Walker, who helped to launch this church when we were a campus and then to release us to chase all that God has for us now, he used to say this, you either have a Jesus story or you're a Jesus story in the making. And I would say for all of us in the room today, if we hold to that truth, that we have a Jesus story or we're a Jesus story in the making. And if we would just say, God, I'm open, I'll share, I'll communicate whatever it is that I'm learning to those around me, I believe you would find these incredible opportunities to share. That on your job and in your school and on your street and around the pool this summer and wherever it is that you're going to do life, that God would say, hey, I want you to, I want you to share with that person. Hey, I just want you to ask that person how they're doing. I just want you to go and pray with someone. I just want you to share what I'm saying to you because that person needs it. All of us have something to communicate. So I just want to pray for us to kind of close our time in this moment before we move on to conclude our service today. And as I do, I just want you maybe just to bow your head and close your eyes and just say, God, what is it that I could share? maybe on a stage like this or maybe just in conversation, but what is it that I could share with the people in my life? Would you bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment? God, I pray for every person in this place today, across this room, those that may be listening back by podcast at some point in the future. God, I believe that every single person under the sound of my voice has something to communicate. They're a Jesus story in the making or they have an incredible Jesus story of what you've done in their life. So God, let us be open today. God, I pray for any person in this place today that does not know you, they're not in relationship with you. God, I pray that you would forgive them, be the Lord of their life, change their eternity forever in this moment. And God, I pray for all of us today that may already be in relationship with you. And I ask God that you would help us to develop the strength and confidence to trust you, to communicate whatever it is that you lead us to say, lead us to do, so that those who are far from you would find life Jesus Christ, that we could encourage them and strengthen them in the way that perhaps we've been encouraged or strengthened by someone else. And so God, I ask you to continue to do that work in and through us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 